0: event organizers get ready to level up
1: to level up
0: you're listening to the event academy live podcast where we elevate motivated event organizers this podcast is brought to you by fusion all the event ticketing features and support you need for one low price check them out at getfusionsolutions.com now it's time for your host jake spurley
1: Welcome back to this week's episode of Event Academy Live. I've got somebody who is relatively close, just a state away, up in Washington, Moses Lake at the Grant County Fair. Now, if you're from the Pacific Northwest, you might get it mixed up because there's a Grant County in Washington and there's a Grant County in Oregon. Don't be fooled. This is the guy from Moses Lake, Washington. His name's James. I'm really excited to talk to him about not only his fair, but what he's learned about running fairs and maybe, you know, a, a tip or two, you know, of things that he's learned about running a fair in, I'm going to say a more remote location, a location that isn't dense, like the downtown Seattle or the middle of Portland, right? So without further ado, James, thanks for joining me today.
0: Thanks and call me Jim too. Cause uh, only if I'm in trouble and I call James and that's usually <laughs> by my wife.
1: <laughs> well, I don't want to be confused with your wife. That could get awkward real quick. We'll keep it to Jim then. Jim, for folks that don't know Grant County, Washington, catch them up to speed.
0: Well, uh, let's see. Grant County, uh, Moses Lake specifically in Grant County, is about dead center in the state of Washington. So it's primarily an agricultural area. Um, Grant County is the largest potato producing county in the country. Uh, Idaho likes to have that uh, designation, but that's not the case. And So uh, a majority of McDonald's French fries, for instance, come from Grant County. Um, It's also one of the largest onion producing regions in the state or actually in the country. Um, There's a few, there's Texas, California, and obviously Georgia, Vidalia onions, some different things like that. I used to sell onions, that's why I know. Um, But uh, (laughs) it's a a really big agricultural, you know farms there's not that many small farms anymore most of them are mega farms Uh, uh, we also have a lot of food processors in the area uh, a lot of cattle um, processing and we actually have a a chicken uh, poultry plant not too far from here so um so our region is very arid and dry people think of washington state and then they forget the fact that eastern washington much like eastern oregon is extreme, extremely dry flat uh not a lot of trees um you get a good windstorm and you've got sagebrush running across the road in front of you so it, it's it's really dry we get seven to ten inches of rain a year um this year during our fair uh four of the five days were over 105 degrees um so it was a really hot oh. fair this year well, it was brutal brutal hot this year uh uh so our evening crowds were huge but uh we our facility is 187 acres. We're probably the largest equestrian facility in the state of Washington now. We've got two large indoor riding pavilions, a 5,000 seat rodeo, 456 RV sites, 414 horse stalls. And uh, we host approximately 40 to 50 equestrian events a year in addition to other events.
1: chief you guys are busy and well-equipped to be busy.
0: Yep. we. And our commissioners are and we're a county facility, so uh we're financed by the county. Um, our budget is about two million dollars a year, and uh it it we almost break even, uh slightly uh funded by the county. Uh, this year, out of the two million dollars, we're funded by the county at fifty-six thousand dollars. So it's just a little bit of a supplement. Uh, next year, I think will be um revenue positive um it's slowly been less and less supplement each year um, since 2018 and so our goal is to get to uh positive money soon and we should be doing that we we there's not too many facilities like ours that can host the size of events we can do um i know monroe has a fairly large equestrian facility um but they don't have the stall count that we do and the the next one that's that's slightly bigger than ours is Nampa, Idaho. How, what's your guys' attendance at the fair every year? Um, Last year, it was 87,000. The post COVID year, 2021, where everybody else saw their huge numbers this year because they got hammered on by COVID. We actually uh, slipped in our fair last year prior to the mask mandate being re-implemented. And so we had 92,000
1: and that was the biggest fair ever. Wow. Wow. So I guess what's, I mean, prior to COVID and now, are you guys doing anything differently or are you guys really really kind of running the fair um, similarly to how you were doing it before COVID?
0: Uh, Similar, so um, Eastern Washington is a very conservative side of the state, um, unlike Western Washington and probably Western Oregon. And so the views of things like masks and stuff like that over here are a lot different than they are in Western sides of the states, the two states. Um, I think for the most part, I, I think we probably do a little bit more cleaning than we have done in the past. So uh, making sure things are wiped down, tables are wiped down, door handles are wiped down, little things like that. Bathrooms are cleaner. We, we actually went with the private contracting service for the bathrooms instead of using um, volunteer groups or or nonprofit groups. Um, so little things like that, but I don't think anything else has changed
1: much um, as far as fair goes po- uh, post versus pre-COVID. Yeah. Let's talk about marketing. I mean, getting 80,000 bodies into a fairgrounds isn't, isn't an easy task. I mean, given the older a fair is, the more people just kind of naturally know about it. But talk to me about like, what's your guys' marketing budget look like? What's your guys' marketing strategy? Like talk me through what that looks like for maybe somebody that is trying to increase their attendance or maybe that doesn't really know a lot about event marketing. Well, um, the first thing probably is we're moving
0: away from traditional media, which, you know, I, I spent 25 years in the newspaper publishing business. And so I know traditional media really well. And unfortunately 2017, I made the decision that said, you know, this is a dying business. And I'm sure some newspaper people, if they see this podcast or here, it will probably be mad at me, but it is a dying business. And in fact, today, I just canceled our current, our local newspaper subscription said, we're not going to renew it. I don't, there's nothing in it that's relevant anymore to me or to the, the facility. So, traditional media is definitely not the way to go we do some radio which still is effective uh we have a local station um, kdrm that we use and we also have a local uh country station kwiq because a lot of times our headliners are country um, but we've we've definitely spent more money on social media marketing this year uh, over the last couple years um, not only for fair but we also do another event called 90s flannel fest which people in Oregon are familiar with a guy named Jason Felman. He does an event in Canby, Oregon called Hairfest. And so we partnered with Jason, um, this last October and did an event here. And so we did a lot of social media marketing, um, we'll do for equestrian events. We've started to do more, um, geofence, geofencing, and, uh, picking out specific equestrian facilities and kind of directing ads to those to say, Hey, you should consider having your event here. Here's the reason we've got a heck of a lot more horse stalls. We've got great weather, easy I-90 access. And so we've we've done some of that. Um, We haven't found, I I think we'll probably end up doing a little bit more Google advertising. The thing about Grant County is we don't have to advertise much to the county. There's 103,000 residents in Grant County. So it's not Grant County that we uh, really need to market to because everybody knows when the fair happens, You know 650 kids have their animals here uh that's not the audience that we're trying to attract because they're going to come anyway we're trying to attract outside the county so we'll target the tri-cities spokane seattle um those three dmas a little bit but we don't uh we don't spend a lot of money well we have spent too much money locally and we're slowly moving that to outside of that area and have you guys seen
1: positive results from doing that
0: Definitely social media marketing is much more responsive in a short amount of time. Um, Our Facebook page, I think it's got around 7,500 people and we can post something on there fairly quickly and get pretty good feedback. Um, I don't exactly see how many people are following. I'm not right in that spot right now, but it definitely, helps us and then we'll do paid facebook um push facebook ads out if we need to to get something out for our events as well and yeah. we do
1: that internally think, oh that's great i say i think there's so many fairs and really events in general that i think get stuck in what has worked and i, I think like you you said it perfectly you were in the newspaper industry for what 25 years right and you yourself made the decision hey times are changing you know this isn't what we should be doing anymore like there is there's better ways to get the word out for the same dollar right? right and i think that's one of the big things that i i see where events can really improve on and really make make their marketing budget a little bit more efficiently right Facebook has made it incredibly easy to to post ads and and do social media marketing. Right. Are there things that you could do to make your ads better converting that maybe only an expert would know how to do? Yeah, there are. Yep. But could you probably do 80% of what they know? Yeah, I'm sure you could. YouTube's yes. a great resource, right? So is it is it really worth stressing over ah I'm not going to be as good as the expert who is 20% better than me? Who cares? 80% right. is better than zero, right? right. And if it's no co- if it's just something you can do on the weekend, if you're, you know, you're a volunteer-run organization or it takes you a couple hours to set up, I mean, why not give it a shot? I think that's the biggest thing. Why not give social media advertising a shot? I mean, you heard it here. You're ditching paper. You're ditching, ditching traditional forms. You've seen a positive impact on switching to social media advertising. You've seen a positive impact of advertising outside of your geographical location. Right. I think that's, that's one of the big things is we get caught in the, we always, we always do this. So we're going to keep doing that because it works and like baseline is good enough. Right. I don't want to be good enough. I don't want people listening to be good enough. I want them to be freaking awesome. You know, part of our problem has been it's, you know, you get stuck in the traditional
0: media, uh, I guess, uh, the mouse wheel where the rep calls you up they've already got a spot from the prior year said, Hey, Jim, you want me to run that spot again? It's so easy to say yes. And, uh, you know, with some modifications or that print ad and make some modifications, it's not that effective, but it's very easy to say yes, because I don't have to do a whole bunch. Um, the one thing that we found this year with one of our events, which was called Moravita, so it's a celebration of life, but it's based on day of the dead on October, around the 31st of October this year it was on the 29th, we did did hire a fairly robust um, graphics person and the ad content that came out for that was what I thought was phenomenal. And the feedback we got was great. Um, You know, 4,000 people showed up to a first year event, uh, which really surprised the heck out of us. And so there are times when I think it's important to use somebody who's really got an eye to embellish on your digital marketing to make it look a little bit better rather than, I mean, I'm as creative as drawing stick figures and and, and that doesn't work. So um, I think it's important to use somebody In, in those times when you're really stressing about, oh my gosh, is this gonna fly? It's worth spending a little bit of extra money to make it fly rather than rely on that 80%. So I guess in that one instance, we did that. We went for the 100% and said uh oh, what the heck let's let's try it it was expensive um but i think we would do it we would probably do it again
1: for for the listeners that are still hesitant they don't they don't know where to start like give them maybe some words of advice to either a how to get started or maybe maybe what you went through going like what did that process look like going from newspaper radio and then switching all the way over to um different forms of advertising?
0: You know, that's that's probably the million dollar question. First of all, I found that is a, um, and, and I was in the business for a long time. Um, in fact, you know, our newspaper was one of the first, had one of the first websites. Um, so, I mean, I've done a lot of digital stuff. I grew up in the era of 8086 computers from Microsoft and stuff like that. I mean, I've been on a computer for 30, well, since, 8086 came out which I think it was like four grand for the computer anyway not uh, to digress the, the thing that uh, I think is is the hardest part is to put together kind of a plan and kind of stick to it. but um, I, I think the key is there's not very many local experts. that's everybody thinks they're an expert. I mean, your newspaper person is gonna tell you they're an expert at digital marketing. Your radio person is gonna tell you they're an expert at digital marketing. Oh, we can sell, we can sell digital ads for you. Uh, a lot of them use third-party companies. Um, I can't remember any of them off the top of my head, but uh, they didn't make that big of an impression, I guess. And so um, they're all gonna say, and what we found is there's not really anybody locally. Like if I wanna jump into doing a whole bunch of Google ads, I'm better off Trying to figure it out myself and watching my buys myself not paying a commission on top of my buys which they're gonna you know if you buy a digital ad from a newspaper let's say and they said oh we're gonna put you on google uh we're gonna use google search engines and we're gonna put you on different websites and so on we're gonna they don't tell you the service that they're gonna use but um 100 uh, percent. so let's say it's a hundred dollars we're well Fifty of that dollar, hundred dollars is going to go in their pocket, and the other fifty might go towards the buy. And in a lot of cases, it's even less than that. So when you use a company, sometimes you have to be cautious in that. The first question I always ask was, how much of this buy is actually going to the display of my advertising, and then where is it going to go? Not how much are you putting in your pocket um, to do this service for me, because I could probably figure it out myself and and feel better about the spending five hundred dollars um so that's the biggest thing is trying to find there's nobody locally really in our market small markets i would spend a little bit of time doing some online research and seeing if there's some ways and i would start with placing some social media ads they're fairly easy to do maybe push some of those out target some specific areas target an age group um if it's real specific uh you know you can target uh kind of a genre of type of advertiser you a, a person that you're going for but i think that's probably the easiest way and then spend some time understanding i don't know if they call it google adwords anymore but uh, something along those lines and so that's usually the easiest way
1: to start yeah and you you brought up a good point everybody thinks that they're an expert and and most of the times um people don't have the budget to, to hire an expert right a, I should, in quotes, an expert, right? And I've I've heard that a lot actually from our own customers. So it's it's funny that we're talking about this now. I put together, I think it's like a twenty five page how to market your event document, and I sent it I send it to all of our to all of our customers, and it basically says, hey, here's how you set up Facebook ads. Here's what your ticketing page should include. Here is how you make a great promo video. Here's like nine tickets, like nine quick hitter tips to sell more tickets, and so that way. Any one of our clients, it's like you have the keys to the kingdom. You don't need to pay somebody to go do this. So, I, right. if anybody's listening and you want that that deck from from me from us, just shoot us an email. However, want to get a hold of us, get, get a hold of us. Happy to send that to you um, for free because I want people to to get out and try try marketing, uh, try marketing in different ways, right? And really, that whole deck was just a collaboration of. I used to run fairs, right? I, I have a very unique perspective of being on the selling ticket side of affairs, but also running them. So I have like all the knowledge, and I can see what everybody else is doing, right? All in this one little deck. So it's been it's been it's been really cool and seeing how. I think the coolest part about that has just been seeing the success from it. You know, seeing seeing somebody who doesn't do social media, going through the you know the deck and saying, "All right, I'm gonna give it a try." They try it. They send you an email. They're like, "Holy crap, Jake!" Like. We, we just did this much and it drove this much revenue. We spent less money. It's like, like that's what, that's what gets me up in the morning. It's like, that's so cool, you know?
0: And what's it's, nice about that is you, you don't have to start with a $5,000 budget. You know, it's, it's, oh. it's, it's almost like an investment account that you handle on your own. Okay, I'm going to invest my own $1,000, but I'm going to give $50,000 to my broker or whatever it is. I'm going to play with that $1,000 and not feel bad if I screw something up. It's the same with marketing. If you you know throw two hundred fifty dollars at a social media ad and target some areas and see what happens, or even a hundred bucks.
1: Yeah, James, I'm gonna. I don't. I don't know if I've told this story ever on this podcast, but we're gonna tell it now because I think it's a really it's a it's a really good one. And It's it's important for for marketing sake. Because I like I like kind of this marketing topic we're on. Um, the first year that I took over marketing for the fair that I was at was Columbia County. It was in Oregon. We did 100% print advertising. It was like print and radio. We didn't do anything on social media. And at the time, I was, I just turned 21. So which crazy in itself, a 21-year-old doing the marketing for a fair, interesting, interesting choice back back when I was 21. Um, I think my budget to market the whole fair was $2,500. I had 2,500 bucks to market a whole fair and get over 30,000 people to come. At the time, I thought that was a massive budget. I was 21, I didn't know any better. Right. So here's what I did. And and with that, I only spent $2,000 and I increased attendance by 38%. That's pretty amazing. Spent less money, increased by 38%. Here's exactly what I did. This sounds silly in hindsight. I bought 100 yard signs for $1,000 in total and I put yard signs all throughout the county. Because that's a one-time investment that i can use for years and years and years to come because i knew that not everybody was on social media would i do that knowing what i know now no i would not right. that's just what i did the other thousand dollars i broke up into and i, I teach while i do this now what i call pillars so i broke our event down into two things at the time the rodeo and the carnival and I said, "All right." So I made a made a little audience for people for the rodeo. I made a little graphic of like a Ferris wheel going around. I think I bought it off of I don't know some random website for like ninety nine cents or something stupid. And I targeted people in the county and you know twenty miles outside that were twelve to twenty one and then kind of the parent age. Threw five hundred bucks at that, and I threw five hundred bucks at people that liked western music and rodeo and bull riding and all that sort of fun stuff. To get kind of, the, we had a rodeo at our fair, and we had country concerts, so like that. Through five hundred bucks, that hit send, let it fly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We sold more pre-sale carnival wristbands than we ever had in the hundred and something years that our fair has been around.
0: Mm-hmm. We
1: increased our attendance by thirty-eight freaking percent. That's close to double. I'm not good in math. I grew up in St. Helens, Oregon, but that's close to double. Mm-hmm. And we spent less money. I had no idea what I was doing. Zilch. Granted, this was what five years ago. But the principles are all the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't have to be an expert, right? To just right. get out there and give it a go. I think that story. One, I'm I'm proud of that story, you know. But two, I just hope it hope it inspires somebody to say, you know what? Some 20-year-old kid did it and increased their affairs attendance. Why well, can't I do it? Right. Reality, the reality is you can do it. Right, right.
0: And the nice thing is, is in with with social media, Facebook spe- specifically. But I, I mean, we also put ads on Instagram. We're going to try TikTok this year. I'm, I, I know that's a big deal. But um, every, you're you can target every age group on Facebook because I know that the younger groups tend to not, that's not as big a deal for them. But they're still on it. They're still checking it for family. You know, what's the fam doing? They'll check it for family. Grandma and grandpa are checking it to see what the grandkids are doing or their kids. And so every age group can be targeted where unlike other social medias like TikTok, I think it's a great thing. But I don't know that. Well, even YouTube, um, I don't know that the average person is going to spend unless they're trying to figure out how to put the element in their oven, uh, how they're going to spend time on YouTube or uh you know, not every age group, and not every age group is getting these TikTok. So Facebook, as far as social media goes, still hits the broadest audience, probably. Although, I just watched the movie, The Big Hack, or The Great Hack. Have you seen that one yet? I haven't, what's it about? Yeah, well, it's a, It's not necessarily politically correct, but it's about the, the uh, 2020 election. And there's a company called, uh, Oh, man, what were they called? They were out of Europe, and they were in partnership with Facebook, and they ran the campaign for Trump. And it talks about how social media was used to influence what they called the, oh, they didn't call them the influenceables. It was something like the, they were basically the people that hadn't decided which way to vote. And so they talked about how influencing they could use social media to influence those votes, and they were very good at it. Um, in fact, there was a big, a lot of different issues with it, but it did bring up a point that you can, you can reach people, an audience that you may not be able to reach and actually get them to, to respond in a different way that, that traditional media can't do.
1: Yeah. No, you, you hit the nail on the head there. I want to switch gears a little bit, Jim. What is something that you think you do really, really well? with the events that you produce that maybe sets you apart from other people?
0: Um, I think our customer service and our flexibility is one thing. So we do about 110 events at the fairgrounds a year. Uh, We host, um, we only do three that we are the promoter of. Um, So the the events that we host, I think the, the key is our rates are still fairly affordable. Um, We really cater to the customer and um, we're flexible and we don't nickel and dime them to death. So for instance, if you're putting on a 700 horse barrel race and you go to a facility and they charge you to pick up the horse manure in the parking lot. Um, to me, that's kind of nickel and diming. So our rates are built such as such that we don't nickel and dime a group and we really respond to the customer. So I think customer service is probably the biggest for our own events. The three that we do, I think it's bringing something to the area that isn't uh, available here normally. I mean, Moses Lake is kind of isolated. It's two and a half hours from Seattle, an hour and a half from Spokane. So uh, people have to drive. If you want to go see George Strait, for instance, this summer, you got to drive to Seattle to see George Strait with Little Big Town. And I can't remember who the other one is, but so to see that kind of entertainment. So we'll try to bring in a group and uh, like last year, we had uh, Lone Star, which it's an older country group, but it, it's a demographic that works here.
1: So, Yeah, I think I, who was, I, I was just talking to uh, I think it was Rachel at Lane County of, of about customer service and how important that is. And fair time, it can get busy like you, you don't have time to answer everybody's questions, change tickets like you don't have time to do it. But that's the little stuff that can seriously make a big impact. You know just providing people with friendly service when they get to the gates or providing reasonable rates responding to their questions or guiding them to where they can get the answers you know one positive experience they're going to go tell 10 people one negative experience they're still going to go tell 10 people about the negative experience and uh it's it's definitely something that, that i want event organizers to realize that just because they're buying tickets doesn't mean they're a satisfied happy customer right like It their experience with you starts the second they hit your website or the second they start looking for tickets. It doesn't start when they get to the gate. It doesn't start when they get to the grandstands. It starts the second they start to buy tickets to your event or they go to your website. And it doesn't end until their car physically leaves the property. Even parking attendants waving goodbye, positive experience to end a great time at your event. It's all about the little things, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is. And And the other thing that I really try to do is I spend, I try to during, especially during fair, I try to make it so that my schedule is fairly open so that I can do kind of the, I mean, I really enjoy walking through the barns, talking to the kids that are doing the animals. You'll see me with my grandkids eating block 40 ice cream at eight in the morning because I love ice cream and I'll eat it again at six in the afternoon um you know those are the little things I'll, I'll be the one picking out garbage out of a garbage can and people are kind of like jim what are you doing um so you can't sit in your office you've got to be out and about and and be willing I, i've always found and it's it's kind of a trait that you try to instill in everybody that's that you employ is you've got to be willing to do anything uh from cleaning a toilet to picking a garbage can Garbage bag out of a garbage can to picking up trash on the ground. Me and the sheriff, uh, the the sheriff and I, this last summer, this last fair, was, you know, 10 eh, 9 o'clock in the morning, it was still 95 degrees. He's in full gear, full vest, gun, belt, the whole nine yards, long pants, long sleeve shirt. No, he had a short sleeve shirt. And we were out picking up garbage at the south end of our facility uh, during fair in the morning prior to opening. And those are the kinds of things that people remember they they look at you and you go wow the other thing i found is you gotta make sure you emphasize what's important at fair and for us here being an ag-based community um kids and animals is probably the most important aspect of fair for me and uh celebrating the fact that this is kind of going to go against the grain but that that uh 16 year old ffa kid isn't sitting there on their phone you know texting some friend they're showing you their sheep or their steer or their pig and and they're they're learning a set of skills that's quite a bit different than their normal everyday routine uh so it's ta- I, I used to the when i did the opening ceremony this year i talked about the tactile experience it's the tactile experience they're touching something and doing something physical not just through an electronic device and so there's there's a benefit there, and that's that's really
1: important to us, Jim. As as we wrap this thing up, I have to tell a story about last year when I was at fair. Kids, kids are getting a bad rap. They're on their phones. They're lazy. They're this and they're that. I'm here to tell you that is nothing further from the truth.
0: Yeah, I don't think and they're the reason lazy. I
1: know that. The reason I know that, and how you can prove it to yourself is by going to your local fair, going into the barn, and going and talking to a kid. Oh yeah. I I grew up in 4-H. I raised swine all throughout. I think seven or eight years. I raised swine. Fair was the best week of summer. There, there, there was no better time to be a kid than being a 4-H kid at fair. Mm-hmm. And I had the opportunity to go back to my hometown fair and be the 4-H judge for for swine. And you know, two days you're doing showmanship. You know, you're judging showmanship. There were over a hundred hundred pigs there. I mean, it's a tough job. I I it I would do it again, but being a judge is very tough. Even the kids that didn't get the blue, they didn't get grand champion, they come up and they say, Thanks for thanks for making the drive, you know, and and, and coming to judge our projects. Like we really appreciate it. Seeing the kids just being happy that they're there with their animal, it's not lost. No. And you can go to any barn at fair and you can find that. And that was such a great experience. Uh, um God, they're so well spoken and
0: they're so well read and they're so willing to engage you as an adult in a conversation about that animal, which a lot of a lot of kids don't get that kind of interaction, I guess. And so I mean every 4 H FFA, and even Grange Kids, they're just they're an amazing group of kids.
1: If you're a parent, you're listening and you want to uh get your kids into one of the great greatest things they'll ever do, 4-H or FFA. That's mm-hmm. my that's my vote. And you Jim, can start with we, a rabbit.
0: You don't have to start can, with a You pig. can start with
1: a rabbit. Yeah. You don't have to start with a pig. You can do rabbit, you can do quilting. I mean, you can do whatever you want. They've got archery, quilting, baking, I don't care. Just get them into that community because it's a great group of people. Jim, as we wrap this thing up, if you were to just give a couple points to maybe a new event organizer or somebody trying to level up their game, what would be some tips or advice you'd want them to know?
0: First one is understand your budget uh expense and revenue is it worth doing the event actually setting a almost like a mission statement what's the purpose of the event because there's nothing worse than putting on an event where you don't really understand what the goal of the event is um i'm a big believer in okay what's your why are you doing this because you're going to put in a whole bunch of work and you better understand why you're doing it and have the passion for that cause otherwise forget doing it um the other one is, uh, you know, grab a group of people that are interested in the same thing and pick their brains uh, and pick people that have maybe done the same event, pick their brains. Most people are willing to share their information and very few, unless it's somebody that's right, like in the same neighborhood and trying to compete against you, uh, pick their brains and steal all the best ideas. Best ideas usually are stolen from somebody else. Very rarely are the ones that we create ourselves and, uh um, and then if it's not fun, don't do it. That's that's probably the third thing.
1: Yeah. Great, great advice. You know, in this episode, we talked about marketing, how you get into social media marketing, how kids are a lot better than, than we place them out to be. Um, you know, different ways that you can, you can jumpstart kind of what you're doing at your fair. You know, Jim, I really appreciate you taking the time the time to chat with us today. Um, you, you bet. I know the listeners here. The listeners here are going to find find great value. So, thank you. You bet. You bet. Everybody, thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Event Academy Live. We'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to the Event Academy Live podcast. This show is powered by Fusion. Event Solutions for the modern event organizer. Don't forget to like, rate and review. We hope you enjoyed the show. Until next week, keep leveling up, fellow event organizers.